0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportstalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana
1: makes the catch! The Indians have won the American League pennant!
0: Well, after a week off, we are back to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell, and along with me is Blake Watson, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we kick back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds this week for the previous couple of weeks. And, Blake, first of all, welcome. How was your vacation?
1: Fantastic. How was yours?
0: Oh, it was great. Had the opportunity to go to Wrigley Field, and we'll talk about that coming up here in a little bit. But really, I guess the the lead story this week uh, is the injury yesterday to Josh Naylor of the Reds, their, or of the Indians, excuse me, their right fielder, and and uh, if anybody didn't see it, he collided with the rookie second baseman, Clement, going for an intermediate fly ball out in right field. According to Terry Francona, neither player called for it. So Clement kept going and Naylor kept coming in. And when they collided, Naylor's right ankle got caught underneath his rear end. And it just snapped the ankle and his right tibula and fibula. So he is definitely gone for the year. He got back in Cleveland earlier this afternoon from Minnesota. He's definitely gone for the year, but... I'll tell you, Blake, it's amazing that some of those injuries don't happen a lot more when you, you see how, how ball players go after fly balls anymore.
1: Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, there was a play in the Reds, uh, Braves game yesterday that a ball landed, um, off the bat of Scott Heineman, who I have no idea why he's playing. Um, <laughs> it landed in, right in between the trio of Albies, Freeman, and Acuna Jr. Um, it actually hit the glove of the Acuna before Albie's hit him. Could have been another similar play, right? And that's a that's three guys that any one of those three is hurt for an extended period of time. The Braves are done. Um, yeah. So it's crazy that guys, you know, they don't call the ball the way they're supposed to, and 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 you know, you know, make a play and avoid that kind of stuff. That, that was a, an avoidable injury. Is what sucks about
0: it. Yeah, it, it really was. Now, the Indians are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. I mean, there's some things that they can do. Quite honestly, I'm not thrilled with any of them. But, you know, if, if they were going to lose a player, Josh Taylor was probably – and this is not to say he was the player that they could afford – uh, at the most to lose, but he was one of their emotional leaders, Blake. A lot of people didn't know that. He he came in early, left late, he was one of the leaders on the team, and yesterday against Minnesota when that happened, it was basically you saw the life just come out of the team and they just wanted to finish up the last four innings and get the heck out of Minnesota. But, the good news is they've got Framio Reyes who did a... Uh, a rehab assignment down in Akron, hit a home run in one of his two at-bats, so it appears that he may be ready to go. Zach Zack is going to pitch a rehab assignment tomorrow night in Akron, so he may be ready to come back. Of course, the, the key injury was the one to Aaron Savali, and I was in Chicago on Monday night and saw what happened, and everybody was just astounded because he was sitting the Cubs on their ear, Blake, and uh all of a sudden he comes up with a middle finger injury that really nobody has said exactly what it is, but he's going to be out for at least a month. And, and that has taken the Indians down from five starting pitchers that they began the season with to none. And they ended up going out and picking up a guy named Peacock from Houston. And who knows what this guy can bring to the table, but until they start getting some of their pitching back, I'll tell you, Terry Francona has done a hell of a job just keeping this team afloat in the division. They're only two and a half back in the other three te- of the White Sox and the other three teams, Blake, are all tied for third at eleven and a half back.
1: Yeah, it's a crazy division. It's similar to the NL Central that nobody's running away and hiding. Anybody still still legitimately has a chance to win it. But you go to a point where you're missing all five of your projected starters. It's going to be really tough to, to keep pace and stay in that race if they don't get some of that that starting pitching help back quickly. Um, yeah, that Somali injury sounds like, based on time and all that stuff, it's probably something to do with a tendon in his middle finger. Would be my guess. Um, and you know anybody that's pitched, even at a low level before, knows how important that middle finger is on your throwing hand. Um, you know that's where all that torque comes from for. Any kind of off-speed pitch or anything like that. So it's going to be really tough for them to keep going because we've talked about it at, at nauseum on, on this on this show that you know their offense is okay, but they don't have really enough offense to to survive a long stretch of time with bad pitching.
0: Yeah, and and, and they're using their bullpen so much. I know you've talked a lot about the Reds bullpen and how poor it has been this year. The Indians' bullpen has been just the opposite. It's been great. But you cannot continue, Blake, to go day after day after day and expect your bullpen to fill in four or five innings of a nine-inning ballgame. You just cannot do that over a long stretch of time. And that's what the Indians have been doing.
1: On that, For sure, and that was part of the Reds' problem. One of the reasons the bullpen was so bad for the Reds for the longest period of time is because they were overworked. Um and you're seeing that now with, you know, Lucas Sims and T J Anton both on the injured list. Um, guys that have been throwing multiple innings almost every time out. Really the only two guys in that bullpen that since the first day of the year that David Bell's been able to turn the ball over to him be pretty comfortable with what he's gonna get. Um and now they're both hurt, Anton for the second time in a month. And it's 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 not good and it's a lot of it is because they were overworked early in the year. Now the positive side with the Reds versus the Indians is the Reds are actually getting pretty good starting pitching right now. Um, since, since, you know, we talked a lot about it before, Castillo kind of made the, the turn and he's, he's thrown six really solid outings in a row and it's kind of started to 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 carry over to other guys. Um, other guys are having good outings, but I think it's because Castillo is their leader. They expect him to be the ace, the shutdown guy, and he's starting to be that guy again. And, you know, everybody else is following suit. You get two rookies, Santion and um, Vladimir Gutierrez. They're both throwing the ball really well. Um, they're getting five, six, seven innings every time a starter takes a bump. Even yesterday, Tyler Ballady did not have it and still got him through five. They lost the game, but, when you know, when he left the game, was three to nothing. Yeah, they had an opportunity. They just couldn't hit. Um, you'll have those days. So, you know, when a guy goes out and flat out doesn't have his best stuff, to still give you an opportunity to win a ball game, that's all you can ask for. So, you know, the Reds' bullpen is getting better in a lot of ways because they're just not asked to do as much as they were early in the year.
0: A couple of questions I want to bring up about the Reds. One in particular, uh, Anton. You know, he was on the DL. They brought him out. They brought him back off the DL. He made one, maybe two appearances. I don't remember which. And then he's back on the DL. Who in the world ever thought that he was ready to come off the DL in, in that situation?
1: It's weird because, you know, it's another one of those things where it's right forearm tightness. So you don't really know what the injury is. A lot of times that right forearm tightness ends up being UCL and ends up being Tommy John. Um, So I don't know what that is. But when he was out there, you know, I think he had three outings between injured injured, uh, list stints. And the velocity was good. Um, Location was, was a struggle. He didn't have the command he typically has. And the thing about TJ Ianson too that is always a thing is he is he has two devastating breaking balls. His curveball and his slider are both really really good um, to the point where it kind of surprised me how much he throws them because he throws ninety six ninety seven. He actually throws too many breaking balls in my books. But his spin rate was way down. Now was that because he was hurt or was that because he's you know not allowed to use sticky substances anymore? Who knows. But his spin rate was way down, and then the next day he's back on the DL. Yeah. So I I, I think he probably came back too soon, but I don't know. And, you know, the, their medical teams at the big league level, get paid a whole lot more money, know a whole lot more than you and I. So you have to kind of trust them. The Reds over and over and over again make mistakes with those
0: guys, and I, I, I just don't see how you continually do that. Blake, the other question I've got is something that I heard uh, a week or so ago when I was listening to the Minnesota announcers during the Reds uh, game up there. I was coming back from Chicago, and they were playing the afternoon game, and I was listening to the Reds and Twins game. The Minnesota announcers said something I thought was very intriguing, and that was there's a well-known secret amount around Major League Baseball that the Reds hitters do not adjust in the game well at all that you can continue to throw them the same stuff, and if you're, if you're uh, fooling them in the first at bat, you're going to continue to fool them in the second and the third at bat by throwing the same stuff because they do not adjust. Have you heard that or seen that this year? Can, can you corroborate that?
1: I mean, I'd I, I say I, I agree with it, but I think that's a baseball-wide thing. I think it's not just the Reds. I think if you watch enough of any team, you'll see the same kind of thing. Now, there are individual players within the Reds that I will tell you flat out do adjust. Jesse Winker is one of them. Jesse Winker hits breaking ball's hard, fastball's hard. He makes adjustments. Um, but other guys, I, I would tend to agree with that. I think Castellanos is a guy that, you know, he is what he is, and that's, it. you know, it's been really, really, really good so far this year. Um I, I think it's more of that, you know, that three true outcomes in baseball. To where you know, just like trying to hit the beat to beat the shift, we all can sit here on our couches and say how easy it would be. Oh, why aren't you butting down the third baseline? Well, how hard is the Devon ninety-seven in your chin? Like, I, I, I don't see, I don't see it as an issue like they would have said it is. I also, you know, think that. I'm a big believer of in do what got you to the big leagues. So why adjust? I mean, there's small adjustments for sure. Yeah, but you're not going to change who you are to be in the middle of a game. Like you're going to continue to be who you are. Now, can you choke up a little bit, punch it to right field? Sure. I think Tyler Stevenson does a great job of that. Um, but. No, I think
0: it's more of a baseball-wide thing than just a Reds thing. Yeah, Ahmed Rosario, the Indian shortstop, does a great job of that also. He, he will take the ball to the other way, which leads me into uh, the, this crazy world that we're living in now in Major League Baseball where the relief pitchers are being basically body-checked after every inning. We got to see it uh, a week ago today uh, in Wrigley Field for the first time, and and it's just it's a comedy, Blake, to watch these relief pitchers walk off the field. They get to the first base or third base line, and two umpires are swarming them, and they're checking them out. We saw Max Scherzer uh, last week basically ready to drop his pants Because he was so upset at Joe Girardi. I mean, there's something that's got to be done about that. But the big thing was Hector Santiago of Seattle being thrown out of yesterday's suspended game when he came out to start and they pulled him out after three hitters. He walked off and because it was a suspended game, they were able to check him when he left and they found some sort of sticky substance in his glove he acted surprised about it. Either he's a great actor or, uh, he really was surprised about it. But I, I don't know, Blake. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons. When are they gonna, when are they really gonna start investigating the hitters who are too stupid to go the other way with the baseball? I mean, Mike Schmidt, did you see Mike Schmidt's article over the weekend? No. Great article. He wrote it himself. He said until these batters he said, I didn't care if the pitcher threw a spitball at me, a grease ball, a rosin ball, whatever, you still had to hit the baseball. And he said, all of us hit the baseball back in those days and we knew it was coming and didn't complain about it. But he said, if somebody was going to play three guys on the left side of the infield against me, I'm going to right field. But these guys are too egotistical to do it. And I'm paraphrasing here. They're too egotistical. They don't want to drop a bunt down. They won't adjust to the way the defense is playing them. He said in football, offenses adjust to the way the defenses are playing all the time. Basketball, it's the same way. Why is it we feel like in baseball, we don't have to adjust to the way the defenses are playing? And then the hitters want to complain that the pitchers are throwing a spitball. He said just play the game and go the other direction and start using the defense to your advantage. What do you think?
1: I think it's apples to apple or apples to oranges to compare baseball and adjusting to a defense to any other sport. Um, the fact that the ball is coming in, at the rate it's coming in, with the break it's coming in at, just making contact is really difficult. Um, trying to figure out a way to uh turn that contact into hitting it exactly where you want, only really special dudes can do that. Um each hero comes to mind, right? Like Those kind of dudes, Tony Gwynns, Larry Walkers, just great, great, great hitters um, come to mind. And everybody used to do it a little bit, but that's just not the way the game's played anymore. The game is played for home runs. You're not going to hit home runs punching it through the the four hole where the second baseman just left. It's just it's not going to happen. You're not going to hit a home run punching it down the left field line. Now, does that put your team in a better position to win? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think, you know, the, the metrics of the game and all of those things, it's just pushing us away from stuff like that. And I don't think we're going to go back. I don't think that. And I, again, I'm a big believer in do what got you to the big leagues. If pulling the ball is what got you to the big leagues, then pull the ball. Um, who did I, I heard, I'm trying to remember, I heard something just the other day about a put three guys on the right side of the infield and I'm still going to try to hit it through. And this was an older guy, it might've been a Jim's own or something like that on an old MLB tonight's uh, segment. But it's like he said, I don't oh no, it was Griffey Jr. talking about. It. He's like, I don't care about the shift. The shift wouldn't have affected me because I was still gonna go out and play the way I played. And that's one of the greatest to ever play the game. So I, I just think there's way too much emphasis on the home run and they're gonna continue to be emphasis on the home run. So that's that's all that's gonna matter. And hitting the ball the other way does not equate to power.
0: Oh, no, it doesn't equate to power at all, but it equates to winning baseball games.
1: I, mean, well, I, I agree with you. That's just not the way you play it anymore.
0: Yeah, and, and that's unfortunate because e- e- when you played, and I know when I played, it was accentuated that if you got a curveball thrown to you over the outside corner, you waited on that pitch and you took it to right field. These guys try to pull the ball constantly, and it's an easy ground out to shortstop. We've heard that for years. That that's what you're gonna do. If you don't go with the pitch, then you're gonna end up grounding, getting a weak grounder to either short or second. And we see that a lot. Or nowadays, it doesn't even matter anymore if you strike out, but you're not putting the ball in play. And I'll tell you one thing, you know, I've heard so many, and I, you know, I go back to the old time baseball players, but I've heard so many of them say, nothing good happens if you swing and miss. But if you put the ball in play, there's at least a chance something good can happen.
1: Oh, without a doubt, it's just like my the same thought process when everything was talking about launch angle, and it drives me nuts because you know hitting the ball in the air. You know, if you hit it out, great. But if you a fly ball, is the easiest play in baseball. Like if you hit a hard ground ball, there's two parts to every play. They got to catch it, throw it, and then catch it again. Yeah. So it's it's a tougher play than a lazy fly ball to center field that you almost hit out. So I, I agree with you completely. Um and I was a bit of a punching Judy guy myself. I love the guy that flipped curveballs on the outside of the, outside corner because I would flip it over to first baseman's head the whole game long. That's just, but that's how I was. Guys like that, guys, I don't care if you hit 400 your whole way through. If you're a punching Judy guy, you're really not a prospect anymore. Like it doesn't matter. They don't look at guys like that. As big league prospects anymore. You have to hit the ball hard and drive the ball with power. Or, or you, you're a career minor leaguer. Just is what it is.
0: I, I heard an interesting comment the other day about this and that is Major League Baseball caused this problem in the steroid era by not doing anything to stop it.
1: I mean, I wouldn't, I don't agree with that. I think, I think it's the metrics that have caused this, um The fact that you know it's easier to score hitting one home run than it is three base hits. Um, It's just you know with the the specialties, I think what's caused this is the specialist relievers, and that's a little better than it used to be because uh, you know you can't go left on left, right on right, left on left in the same inning. You don't see that anymore, obviously, with the to three batter minimums and all that stuff, but. Every single team rolls out five, six guys in their bullpen that throws 97, 98 miles an hour. And, and that's just, it's really difficult to square those dudes up three, four times in a row to score multiple runs in an inning. Whereas if they walk a guy and you hit home run, there's your multiple runs in an inning. So I, I see both sides of it completely. Um, I just, I think it's really difficult and I don't think we're going to go back. So the way baseball used to be played and a lot of that is because the pitching is just so much better, so much higher end than it's ever been.
0: Where I, and I agree with you. I think pitching has improved tremendously over the last few years and the hitters are trying to find an excuse for not being able to hit the baseball. Hitting has not, has not improved to the rate over the last, I'm going to say 15 years that, that pitching has improved in. I, I just don't think that's happened.
1: For sure. My dad and I used to always talk about my dad who's passed now. He hated, he hated Homer Bailey. And I mean, I wasn't a Homer Bailey fan, but I looked at Homer Bailey as a guy that if he threw in the early 80s, the way he threw 95 with an over the top breaking ball was really good, he would have been a dominant starting pitcher in the early 80s. There wasn't many guys that did that. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the ability of the middle to end of rotation guys and bullpen guys now, is what superstars were in the time of Mike Schmidt, right? Now you talk about Mike Schmidt, it's time for him to give me a Bob Kitson or somebody along those lines. They would be great no matter what era they played in. But you look at the, the bottom rotation guys, you know, think about the big red machine. Who was their number one starting pitcher? Probably Don Gullett. Yeah. And Don Gullett couldn't make a major league team right now. Like Nah, I don't
0: know about that. He was a lefty. I think, okay, let, let's, let's say it this way. Gary Nolan. Gary Nolan.
1: Yeah, but those are, even if they're on a team nowadays, they're fifth starters. Like, they are not, I mean, freaking Luis Castillo throws 98 miles an hour as a starting pitcher. It's just a different game nowadays, man. It really is, and it has to be played differently because the pitching is so much better. Because when they're scouting pitching, all they care about now is the radar gun and they teach everything else. That's just the way it goes.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I look at this and I say, there are so many things that baseball could do. I mean, for example, nobody really knows right now what is a banned substance and what isn't. For example, uh, Trevor Bauer the other day, I don't know if you saw his YouTube video, but it was classic. Where he, he took only sweat and rosin, put it on his hand, took the baseball, turned his hand, facing palm down with the baseball in the palm of his hand, stuck to his hand, and the ball stayed there. And he, and it was only sweat and rosin. Now that's exactly what baseball has said, is a perfectly fine System to use. The rosin bag has been there for years. It's always going to be there. So if pitchers are using that combination, what's wrong? Where all of a sudden has baseball gone wrong?
1: The problem for me is the fact that no matter what they do and say, they say this is legal, they're going to try to push it to something else that's a little stickier that isn't illegal. Um, So it's really, it's a slippery slope because You you just don't know, you know, you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. So it's it's almost to the point where it's either just let everything be legal or let nothing be legal.
0: So what's the difference? Let me throw this at you, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. What's the difference between what you just said for pitchers and what the hitters have done throughout the years by wearing body armor, basically, up to the plate? I mean, 20 years ago, you didn't see all the stuff that these guys were wearing. Now, all of a sudden, they got the elbow pads. They've got the extended ear flap in front of their face. They've got the shin guards. They've got the foot guards. Everything. I mean, what's the difference? They're pushing the limits. Why can't pitchers?
1: Well, they're pushing the limits, and it's more of a safety thing than what pitchers are. I don't think pitchers might say it's for the safety of the batters. It's not. It's for the fact that they can throw with a higher spin rate and they can get more dudes out. I mean, it just is what it is. Now, does it help with the 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 batters not knowing that the guy's got a little better control because he's got a sticky substance? Sure. But it's not the same thing by any stretch of imagination. Those do not enhance performance in any way other than giving you a peace of mind that if you take one high and tight off the chin, you're a little more protected. Um, the other thing is, twenty years ago, you didn't see near as many pitchers that threw ninety seven, ninety eight, and had questionable at best control. Um, I watched yesterday in the game, Tyler Malley almost hit a t- uh, uh, Acuna Junior in the face with a ninety seven miles an hour fastball, and then threw a slider down the middle, and Acuna hit it as hard as any baseball could hit all year. Um, so you know, it, it's it's. I just didn't think there was as much of a scared factor in the box back then as there is now.
0: I, I, agree, with, I agree with you to a certain, certain uh, degree, but also I think it has something to do with the fact that pitchers now with the batters wearing everything that they can, when they want to brush somebody back, they go at the head. I mean, if they go at the body, they're going to they're hit something plastic. So they go ahead and try to brush these guys out. I don't know. I just there are so many things. Manfred has done a terrible job of handling this. Uh, just a terrible job. And Major League Baseball has no idea to do it in the middle of the season. Blake is just asinine.
1: Well, and the the real the real harm comes from it's pissing pitchers off. And now, from what I understand, upsetting hitters as well. And they're. Making enemies of the players, right, for its collective bargaining time. Right. This wasn't a good opportunity. It wasn't a good time to do it. Um, anytime you change the rules that you're gonna play by in the middle of the year is really dumb. Now, have they changed the rules? No they haven't because these substances were always illegal. Um, which they haven't really defined what is and isn't. But the state, everybody knows that using foreign substances was not legal before. But, they changed the way they're checking on it. And, and, you know, before it had to be the opposing coach say something, but they were never going to say something because they knew their pitcher was doing it too. So it, it's, a, it's a weird, weird dynamic, man. That, that Joe Girardi, Max Scherzer one was absolutely hilarious.
0: Oh, it was. That was funny. Yeah, it was great. Why is Heineman on the team?
1: I have no idea. I can't justify Scott Heinemann. I saw a joke, uh, thing on Facebook yesterday was uh, David Bell's outfield rotation, and it was, um, you know, it was the the two big two Castellanos, Winker, then uh, Senzel, who's on the DL, and blah, blah, blah. There's like 12 people, including March shot David Bell, and then like on number 99 was Shogo Akiyama. It doesn't make sense why Shogo Akiyama does not get an opportunity to play on this team at all. And if you're going to start a right-handed outfielder against a left-handed pitcher, that's fine. It should be Aristides Aquino. Now, yesterday they started Aquino and Heinemann and took Jesse Winker out of the lineup, which I get the left-left matchup, but Jesse Winker has been one of the three or four or five best offensive players in baseball this year. Why do you take him out of the lineup ever? The guy should be. He's got a better chance hit left handed pitching than Scott Heineman, who has two hits on the year going into yesterday. He's, he was two for, I think, 32 going into yesterday. Now both hits are home runs. Another one of those, that's the only reason he's on a team field. Now Heineman plays pretty good defense, but I don't care. That guy does not belong on a major league roster, especially a major league roster that fancies themselves a contender. It's a joke.
0: I'm going to say something here I know you're probably going to disagree with me on, but I think I think Akiyama is a bust.
1: I don't think he's had an opportunity to not be. Um, Whether he is or he isn't, I don't know. Um, He has not had the opportunity now. Last year, towards the end of the year, when he got everyday playing time, when the Reds were at their hottest of the year, Akiyama was one of their best offensive players. Now, he was really hot the last month of the season, but... To me, that would that earned him an opportunity to play a little more, and it hasn't happened. It's it's mind boggling to me.
0: Yeah, I you know I I agree with you. I'm just I'm looking at this guy, and I just don't see it. And you know where I think the Reds really went wrong. And again, you may disagree with me on this. They didn't bring Freddie Galvis back. Do you know that guy's hitting cleanup for Baltimore? I know it's Baltimore but could you could could the Reds handle having a 275 hitting shortstop right now
1: oh for sure I think I agree with you I think their intention was to sign one of the big guys that didn't happen um and you know Kyle Farmer is a probably a better defensive shortstop right now than Freddie Galvez um I don't know is Freddie Galvez playing short in Baltimore I thought he'd a lot of seconds? no things. he's
0: playing he's playing short exclusively
1: is he okay yeah. um yeah now I like Freddie Galvis. Freddie Galvis is a good baseball player. I, I that's so no, too. Yeah, I was here. Um, even if it was in a bench role, like if he was in the, the Alex Planino role or somebody like that, and been the you know the extra infielder because he can hit, switch hitter. He's a professional at bat. Um, I like Freddie Galvis. I think they regret not bringing him back at this point. Um, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty for sure.
0: Well, it, it's going to be tough for the Indians right now. Losing Naylor, they've got to get their heads back into everything. Right now, I think the Indians' focus is just trying to stay in this race until the All-Star break. They're they thinking right now, if they can get to the All-Star break, get Bieber back, get Plesak back. By that time, Savali will be ready to come back and throw some innings. That they'll be okay but right now they're two and a half, as I said earlier, behind the White Sox. Everybody else is eleven and a half back, and I mean that—that's the funny thing about this division. But this week is really going to be tough, as I, you know. The last show I said I'm really looking forward to the next couple of weeks because the Indians have got all these guys coming, all these teams coming up that they can beat. I'd be thrilled if they're ten games above five hundred. Well, this week they've got a three game set with Detroit, then they've got Houston. Who's been hotter than a firecracker lately, and then they've got Tampa Bay. And those two teams right there just scare the bejesus out of me.
1: Well, and they especially should with your lack of pitching, right? You got you don't know who's gonna start any of those games. Um it's it's crazy to think that the Indians are in this spot where, you know, we talked preseason, the the strength of that team and it has been for the last three or four years, has been the rotation. Yeah. And it's just not right now. So you go into each one of those series at a competitive disadvantage to begin the series with no, uh, no starting pitching. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do over the next couple of weeks for sure.
0: And, and with the Reds, they're 38 and 38 heading into tonight's action. They're six games out behind Milwaukee and the Cubs. I'll tell you, I saw the Cubs last Monday night. Blake, I think they've played their, base, their best baseball. It's in the past, and they're going to fall out of this division race. I really believe St. Louis is going to make a run. The Reds have got a prime opportunity here to try to catch up with Milwaukee. But right now, they're six games behind the Brewers. But the Reds have got to get something. They've got to get themselves a fire lit under them.
1: It was weird. So for ten games, the Reds were one of the best teams in baseball. Um And then the next ten games, they're three and seven. So... It's, it's clear that sweep at San Diego really hurt them, um, because they played really well on that road trip until that point. Um, so again, another thing, the reds got to find a way to get healthy, man. They got to get Moustakas back, got to get Senzel back, got to get Sonny Gray back. Um, got to get Antonin Sims back. Uh, Lorenzen will be back right at the all-star break. That should help that bullpen a lot if he can throw what we're, what we're used to seeing. And do if they find a way to get healthy over the next month and are within five games ish, I think the last two months of the season, especially if they can find a way to swing a deal for a reliever, maybe a Trevor Story, um, who literally I just saw just came across my phone, just announced he's going to be in the home run derby, um, which I don't really understand. But I don't either.
0: uh, That's in Colorado.
1: Oh, okay. Now I didn't forget about it. Now I understand. Um You know, find a way to swing it for a shortstop, or get tensa or get Muñoz back, move Suarez back over because he's finally starting to hit a little bit. Um, I think the Reds, if they're within five games going into the All Star break and are getting healthy, they say Sonny Gray is going to be back this week. Um, they got a shot to, to to make some noise and be really close to Milwaukee at the end of the year.
0: All right, let's look. Final story of the night. Did you see what happened with Pat Kelly and the Louisville Bats on Friday? I did not. This is hilarious. You know, Pat Kelly uh, is the manager of the AAA Reds affiliate in Louisville with the Bats. And he got into an argument with the home plate umpire, Taka Matsuda. Now, Taka Matsuda, it's in his first year of umpiring triple-A baseball. And as the home plate umpire, he uh, had some problems. Pat Kelly came out and argued with him, and everything was fine. But the hitter that was up, and I don't know who the hitter was, got thrown out arguing a called second strike. So they threw up another pinch hitter for this guy. Well, in the meantime, Matsuda bent over to brush off home plate, and he broke his belt. The belt that were holding his pants up in the ball bag, he broke. It's on YouTube. It's hilarious. And so the, the base umpire, Dave McKay, came in, and they decided that McKay would give the home plate umpire his belt. In the meantime, Pat Kelly, for whatever reason started making fun of the home plate umpire that he needed a new belt, maybe he needed to lose weight, whatever. He got thrown out of the game when the umpire is changing his belt. And, I mean, he comes out and argues for another five minutes about it. Can't understand why he gets thrown out. But it was just a a hilarious situation in Louisville. I've never seen a manager get thrown out of a ball game over a fashion faux pas.
1: That's hilarious. I do remember hearing a little bit about it during the radio broadcast yesterday. The fact that they said he probably didn't deserve to be thrown out, but once he was, he earned it. Um, <laughs> he, he got after it. He did. I, 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 you know, I've been running a couple of games in my life, and
0: no, and, uh, you, I, I earn it after I get thrown out. I never get thrown out
1: because I did, but then I make sure to not let the umpire, you know, down and, and earn it for him. So uh, I. I, I
0: are you one of those guys that turns your cap around into the catcher's position and goes nose to nose when you finally get thrown out?
1: No, I've never done that. Um, I got thrown out of a slow fish softball game one time for calling an umpire a dummy. I was going to call something a lot worse than that, caught myself, and and called him a dummy, and he still threw me out. So I behind the behind the uh, home plate, you know, the the, the backstop and and destroy him for the next four or five
0: innings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's always fun. Blake, final story of the night, um, Wrigley Field. Have you ever been there?
1: I've not. I've been to the outside. I've seen it. I've never been inside Wrigley Field.
0: Um, Greg and I went and, and walked around it. We got there about two hours before game time because I wanted to do that. I wanted to walk around the facility Um, just a, just a great facility. I mean, I go back to where Wrigley Field did not have any lights and how the neighborhood around there, they were having a heck of a time getting them to approve that the lights would go on. Now, that being said, I will tell you this, being there in person for a night game, that is not a night game stadium. It's just not because it's got the lights that go on the field, but you know how every other ball club has lights in the stands so when you get up and you walk out go to the concession stand the bathroom or whatever you can actually see what's going on Wrigley does not that's the one thing nobody will tell you they do not have any lights on the inside part now down in the concaves they do but on the outside of the stadium they do not have any lights so it's a completely different type of visionary aspect of a stadium than you've got anywhere else in Major League Baseball But the thing that impressed me was the ambiance of it. It's like going back and seeing an old-time stadium. Actually looking in there and knowing that Babe Ruth has actually been there and hit from there. Fergie Jenkins. All the great Cubs players from years past and all the great other players in years past. But the thing that really impressed me, Blake, was the friendliness of everybody in that stadium. And I'm talking about ushers, police officers, and just regular Cub fans. Because you know me, I walked in with my Indians hat, my Indians shirt, Greg had his Indians hat on, we were proud to be there. And these ushers, they'd see us walking down towards our seats and they'd say, ah, Cleveland fans, welcome to Chicago. And we actually sat there and talked to two ushers after the game was over. And they talked to us for 20 minutes about just what they do at Wrigley Field and how they got the job. And they were older; they were probably a little bit older than me. Um, but it was very interesting to sit back and talk to them about what they do, and just just I just loved the entire experience so much so that I want to go back again this year, probably next year, even though the Indians don't play there again. But and I also want to. Go to Comiskey Park, which is now, I don't know, some sort of mortgage company, Great Value Park or whatever now. But anyway, it, it was just a fun time. If you get the opportunity, go see Wrigley Field because it's a fun time.
1: It's That's awesome, and it's funny because, you know, I was at the Reds-Braves game on Friday night. Um, we actually got, you know, our, our staff at the Mount got to sit in uh, Dr. Timothy Kremchek's box, um,
0: which was really, really cool.
1: Um, all, you know, free food and drinks, all, all games yep. and stuff like that. It's a weird way to watch a game because you don't watch but of game, but you, you talk to Braves fans there and there was a ton of Braves fans. Or as you know, you know, when the Cubs are in town, there's always a ton of Cubs fans in yep. the And they talk the same way about Cincinnati people, right? They, they talk the same way, like the friendliness of, of being in a park and it's the opposing team and everybody's still really nice. So it, it's really cool to see that other parks do it the same way that we do here in Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's just the ambiance of it. You, you've got to take it in and really get in there to, to get the full effect of Wrigley Field, but it's a great place to be. Okay. So the Indians, they've got, as I said, Detroit this week, Tampa Bay, or Houston, then Tampa Bay. Gonna be a tough week for the Indians. It really is. It's gonna be a tough week for them. The Reds, they've got Philadelphia. They're gonna make up a game from June 2nd tonight, just a one game trip in and out for Philly. And then they've got the Padres for a three game set and the Cubs for a three game set this weekend. So they're, they're in the middle of a pretty nice homestand here that if they could get back to their winning ways, they could make up some room.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm pretty excited to see what they do over these next couple games. You know, this, this week with the Padres, it's another, you know, good test to see if they're, you know, as good as we think they could be, and I think it's a better matchup for the Reds, obviously being at home. Um, they're gonna get some tough pitching. I know the Padres have announced that Snell will start game one, Musgrove game two. For the Reds, that'll be against two rookies in Santián and uh, Vladimir Gutierrez, unless Sonny Gray gets the call up for one of those games, which is possible. Um he's more likely to come back Thursday or Friday, but uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 an exciting week for the Reds. Exciting week for the Indians. Get to the point of the season where you know the Reds just playing 500 baseball is not going to be good enough anymore. Um, I think you know with all the injuries they've had, you got to be relatively happy with where they are. As bad as the bullpen's been, as spotty as the starting rotation's been, as bad as Castillo was for the first month and a half of the season, um, you got to be relatively happy that you're sitting at 500. But it's time to go. Um, it's time to go. you got about a month or you know you need to figure out what the realistic chances are that you know Castellanos is going to come back next year. Well um, what, he, 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 if he plays at this level he's going to exercise his opt out and go get paid paid paid
0: as he should as he should the way things are set up. but here's the thing. I'm looking at the red schedule right now going into the all star break, which is two weeks from tomorrow night, July 13th. The 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th, the Reds are playing in Milwaukee. They've got a four-game series with the Brewers. Then comes the All-Star break. And then coming in on Friday, right after the All-Star break, they've got Milwaukee at home. They play them another three games. So they've got a seven-game set with the Brewers before and after the All-Star game. Then the Mets come to town, Blake. Then the Cardinals come to town. Then they go to Chicago for a four game set with the Cubs. Then they go to New York for another three game set with the Mets. If they don't know where they're going to be after this stretch of games, they're in trouble.
1: Without a doubt, for sure. And I think it's, it's a good, um, a good test of where they're at, right? So we'll, we'll see a lot about both of these clubs in the next coming weeks.
0: Yep. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll see you again next Monday. Of course, July 4th is Sunday, but we'll be back on July 5th for another show, okay? Sounds good to me. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks a lot for joining us here this evening on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Program here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. For Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everyone.